Welcome everyone to the Lighter Mind Podcast. In the Lighter Mind, we explore spirituality, personal growth, trauma, recovery, and the path to wholeness. The Lighter Mind Podcast is not intended to diagnose or treat any forms of mental illness. We are not licensed therapists unless otherwise noted, and these are experiential conversations. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Lighter Mind Podcast. We've got Alan and Crow again, and today we have a very special guest. We have Miss Danny over here, who we have been trying to get on this show for quite a while. And Danny and I have worked together at a drug and alcohol rehab um, many, many years ago. And the accolades that you received um, from clients that I talked to um, were very, very happy with what you were able to teach them. Um, you do know a wide variety of things within your field, and you also have a very fascinating story yourself. And I have also done, um, I dabbled in some neural feedback with Danny as well. And um, Danny and her son are two of my favorite people on this entire planet. And I, I really, really mean that wholeheartedly. And Graham, if you ever manage to listen to this, you're ten ply bud, and we're <laughs> yeah. we're coming for you next, man. We're gonna right. we're gonna get you on here too. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to, um, yeah, just have a conversation with Danny about your own experience with um, you know trauma and um, you know therapy and what kind of led you led you to where you are right now and what you're doing and you know. Cool. You know, so I'm going to pass it off over to you. And so this is Danny and just introduce yourself and who are you? What do you do? Okay. Thank you, Kyle. Um, it, I am so honored to be here, to be included and to be, this is like the sanctuary to hang out with you guys. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me and including me and for your patience and getting me here because I know with scheduling over the last few months, that's been a little tough. Um, uh, I have met some really fantastic people through this journey, and yeah, you, Kyle and Crow being two, and then today meeting Alan, thank yeah. you for having awesome. me here. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I will start a little bit of my background, and you are yeah. welcome to prompt or whatever as, as works for you. I am... So I was, in 2013, I was riding my bike, and I was hit by a car. And that was a not just a traumatic brain injury, TBI, but it was a life-changing moment in so many ways that I didn't recognize at the time. And over that next year, it changed my, all of my relationships. Um, most significantly it started with changing my relationship with my husband, which then led into going through divorce, uh, my relationship with all of my kids and, and what, what I do in life, pretty much everyone around who I interact with, how I interact with life. And so that was, monumental uh, and we could do a whole episode here on <laughs> TBIs because I know there's also a pretty significant overlap with TBIs and substance use and mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. a whole, whole conversation for me it, it didn't lead into substance use but 
it did lead into a journey of trying to figure out and understand what was going on with my head. Um, I, my perception is I thought I'm still normal. I'm acting the same. I'm just being more vocal about my opinions. And I thought this was a good thing because previously I was pretty agreeable and reserved and holding things back. But as I spoke more, then it affected other people around me differently. And about, oh, I was also dealing with a lot of anxiety and depression. And about two years after my TBI, I realized I'm still not okay, I'm still not normal, and what I thought was maybe just going through divorce stuff and just early recovery is still there. And I remember, I don't remember who told me, but someone referred me to a neuropsychologist, and she did a bunch of testing on me, and um, and she, with her was the first time I really admitted to someone that I was having a lot of suicidal thoughts and um, admitted to her that I didn't have a plan that I was going to like implement right away, but I had a plan. And my plan was like, okay, as soon as my kids are old enough and out of the house, like, here's what I'm going to do. So... I, everyone else externally thought, well, she's functioning. She's... Mm functional in life. Um, but I knew inwardly I was not okay with those feelings, but also just the anxiety and depression and lack of sleep because it just all seemed like one big mess. Mm -hmm. So, uh, went in to see her and she confirmed like, yep, there's a lot, I can see a lot going on and through various testing, but she also suggested we do a QEEG and neurofeedback. So what is that? What is that first thing you just said? Yeah. The QEEG is, I actually brought my paper cause I'm never going to say it right. So oh, yeah. no <laughs> it's a qualitative electroencephalograph. I, okay. <laughs> okay. Good, good to know. Yeah. Good to so, know. So, yeah. so, what is, so what is that actually doing to you? Yeah. So the QEG is reading the brain's function. Okay. So where is an MRI or a CAT scan is reading the brain's structure. Mm. The QEG is reading function. So like after my traumatic brain injuries, I didn't have structural changes in my brain, but I did have functional changes in that my makes brain. Sense. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So sense. the... It's a, a full cap put out over my head with about 20 different wires coming out connected to the computer. And she read my brain while I'm relaxed with my eyes open, relaxed with my eyes shut because there are certain things they expect to see, mm -hmm. certain changes, and then enter my age, my gender, all that. And then that information is compared with hundreds of thousands of other people mm -hmm. who are the same gender and um, age and left or right handedness because all of those things make a difference like over time a QEG for a person would look slightly different over time even though we are generally very stable in how our brain presents on a QEG but the things that can really influence it are either a TBI mm -hmm. um, 
or uh, substance use. Yeah, of course. Um, medication. Um, so all of those things can sh- change what shows up. But otherwise, we're generally pretty stable over a lifetime. Okay. Um, so, and, and then yeah. that's compared then with the hundreds of thousands. So there's a basic kind of flatline algorithm that that well, can be established so it's kind in of a that. bell curve thing, Exactly. Right? Bell, so, yeah. bell curve. Okay. You're looking okay. at like deviations off, yeah. off of the on the bell curve. So. Exactly. Okay. I even wrote down the bell curve um, numbers here because yeah. I was like, I'm not going to remember the exact numbers, so right. I actually wrote them down. No, so, it's... yeah, it's a bell curve. So, okay. most people fit within that, like, 32%. Okay. And then, like, one standard deviation above or below, let's see, that would be the 13.6% either above or below, yeah. and then the 2.1%, and then the 0.1% is three standard deviations out. Okay. okay, so you so you got this QE the, that yep. thing, <laughs> and then and then you started to do the neural feedback. Is that? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull it. So up. on the QEG, what were you? Yeah, that's the name. <laughs> pretty far off of the, you know, the mean. Uh, out of the yeah. Norm? yeah. So here's uh, I know people can't see this, but I'll explain it as I show it to you. Oh, these are fun. Yeah, it, it is fun. <laughs> yeah. It is fun to see yeah. these because I, like I think one, it's colorful and interesting, but yeah. two, it it's confirmation that what you're experiencing is not just in your head, so to speak. You know, right. that, oh no, it's really in yeah, your head. it's actually <laughs> happening. Yeah. yeah, right. So on this QEG, wherever it's white, that means that's the zero. So it's within. Oh, this is normal. And then wherever it's light green to dark blue, those are one, two, or three standard deviations below normal, <laughs> or. Wherever it's that kind of in getting into yellow, orange, red, that's one, two, or three standard deviations above normal. Okay. So think of that bell curve, and then, and then I just pulled out a page here, and there's different ones, but it also breaks it down into hertz. So brain waves are measured in hertz, and so one, two, three, you know, we've got each of the hertz broken down here. And some of the pages, it groups them, like the delta brain waves are one through four, and then the theta are five through eight, and then alpha are nine through 12, and then 13 up to about 30 is considered beta. So Crow, you look confused. <laughs> no, I'm just I'm just want to take a quick second to describe this sheet you're handing around. It's really colorful to all our <laughs> listeners, but what it is is like a bunch of uh, you know a series of twenty circles on this white eight and a half by eleven, and it's really beautiful. And some are red, some are green, and some are blue little circles. Yes, yeah, so these are brain scans. And so is yeah, it yeah. almost like yeah. a top view of your brain scan? Yep. Yeah. By exactly. the energy, by, by the the hertz. hertz yep. By so the looking hertz, down, so, yeah. yes. The red would signify one thing, like, like three, above, above, above. Okay, above and then the and then the blue is below. Is below, yeah, and then the, the green uh, areas. So mass. white, white would gotcha. be in the is the, is, is, is normal. Normal. Okay. Oh, that's I I very did this with diagram. you. Yeah. I remember I did this with you, and my brain. So I I started to do. Um, various forms of feedback when I was going through my PTSD and um, 
I found out through my brain scan that my coping skill is to disassociate because my brain was all blue. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was oh. parts of my brain did not want to function <laughs> and they wanted to shut down. Um, yeah, but I remember that vividly. I actually still have the brain scans. They're all blue. <laughs> yeah. They're all blue. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. What did you, how did you feel when you first saw your um, brain scans? I felt like I wasn't crazy, if I'm going to be honest. Because like, mm-hmm. like you had kind of said, it, it, it did kind of prove that it wasn't really all in my head. Because I thought, like, because I think that when we get into, when you start dealing with, like, abnormalities in the brain, mm-hmm. um, me personally, my ego wants to tell me that I'm not doing good enough and that, yo, just muscle up and get through it. And, you know, but I think that being able to see it tangibly and to be like okay, there's actually something wrong with my brain right now and the way that like I'm processing this information um, made me feel a good deal better mm-hmm. than it did to know that. Um, I mean, my brain was, I think that it really showed my brain was really just trying to cope the best that it could to exactly. get through that. And I think that, I mean, my disassociation was definitely my biggest coping skill when I was going through that. Um, yeah, so it, it was... It was um, it was a good experience for me, I think, and I think I needed it just to tell me that, like, I was doing the best that I could with what I was given. At exactly. That time. Yeah. 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 That's that's very cool. Yeah. Interesting. So, so it gives the cue gives about forty pages of all this kind of information broken down, and so some of these other pages are showing how's the communication happening between different parts of the brain, because you know the two hemispheres have to communicate to each other, and so. How is that communication happening? Is it effective? Are there stress points? Whatever. So that's what these other pages are just breaking it down in different ways and then into numbers. Uh, but that's, yes, generally. Interesting. So, that is so uh, cool. Th- since this is looking down at the head, so where you have all that red, mm-hmm. is a lot of it's yours? Like your mm-hmm. brain okay. Yeah, that's really? my, that okay. was my brain. Okay. So can you t- kind of walk us through what the red means on those in that range so this is after you had a traumatic brain injury the brain's in hyper mode yes trying to overcompensate or like what like what what was what does this actually show so was it trying to reconnect pathways that had been damaged or was it just this was what your brain was doing to cope with what had happened to you good I, question that is a good question i don't know if i can give it motive like to say this is what it was trying to do right, other right. than to say this is what it was doing yeah, right. yeah. Okay. so it um mine you can see on some of the lower hertz like one two and a little bit onto three four but mostly one two there's very low amounts you know, it's scoring down into the one and two below one and two standard deviations below normal which means very low amounts of delta and delta brain waves help get you to sleep and help keep you to sleep. So I was not, I could be very tired, but I'm not staying asleep. Mm-hmm. So I'm waking up a lot. And then, um, there's a little bit here in the, um, alpha, not too, nothing excessive, but once you get to 13, especially 14 and above, there's excessive, like red, 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 Almost globally, but not in the very, very, very front. A little bit here, but mostly the back there. So the back two-thirds of your brain is 
everything your brain does without you being aware that it's doing it. Okay, so that's more like midbrain and amygdala uh, function, subconscious kind of things. So, right? uh, yeah. Subconscious. Okay. So if if you could, you know, kind of like at your temple here, kind of have a little line and then draw backwards. Everything back there. It's subconscious, but it's also monitoring bodily functions. Right. So it's like your operating system more mm-hmm. than... Yeah. Thank you. That's okay. great. Okay. As soon as you start thinking about anything, that's happening in the Pre-frontal. frontal. Yep, yeah. gotcha. exactly right. Okay. So for my scans, there's some getting into the prefrontal cortex, and there's a lot in the back there. Yeah. So I... I was having huge amounts of anxiety. It was oh, a yeah. major part of that. Yeah. Right. And imagine. all that back there is stuff that you can't really control. Like, you know, your thoughts come into your head, but, you know, and you can be like, well, that's a thought, and I can kind of stop this. But when it's this part of your, that back part of your brain, basically, it's just going. Right. And you're not shutting it down without understand some understanding. Is that, am I kind of in yeah. the right ballpark? Yeah. Or, right. worst case, you're up front trying to make sense of it or you're shaming yourself yeah because you know you're telling your the front half is trying to create a story to justify or explain the back half and then we get into deeper hot water because now we're a piece of crap and yada yada because we know we're not right and then we Mm -hmm. get depressed and we get as you said earlier, suicidal, we can, we can anxiety and then yeah. comes in the other body functions that follow suit, heavy breathing and panic attacks out of nowhere. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Out of nowhere. Okay. They feel like they're out of nowhere. Yes. But they're, the they're not really out of nowhere because clearly this is going yeah, on. Yeah. Yes. yeah without so you knowing. Exactly. <laughs> so it, it stems really from subconscious miscommunication. Yeah. Okay. No, this is. I think this, this is, is. This see, this is these little circles on this thing. Are cool. yeah, I think it's, 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 maybe we can get something like this to put up on the website. Absolutely. Yeah, we might. Yeah, we might so, be able to. I so think this is wildly kind of. Yeah, we just kind of look at like yeah. what what we're what we're doing. I think this is wildly valuable because I think that a lot of people in recovery, in particular, have some form of trauma, whether that be physical or emotional. Mm-hmm. And I think it's um, because mine was completely emotional trauma mm-hmm. and it messed my brain up more so than I had ever seen, mm-hmm. you know? So, but I think it's important for the listeners to understand that, um, there are deeper, deeper levels of like therapy and stuff that we have to go into to resolve the total issue. Yeah. And y- you bringing that up, I think is really important because I came into this through um, physical trauma, through mm-hmm. the, the TBI, the accident. But once I really got into this and studying more, I learned that someone could have a brain that looks like this from developmental trauma. Ooh, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, and not even yeah. really, really be aware of it. Right. They didn't experience any physically traumatic event and maybe they're like well you know i'm functional yeah but not recognize that oh i had a childhood that was extremely traumatic but i normalized it in my mind yeah but yeah i'd go look in the kitchen to get something to eat and there's one can of beans in the cupboard mm-hmm. or i had a parent who is 
doing drugs or we had extreme homelessness or we had, you know, all those experiences. Uh, a series of emotional abuse. Exactly. A, a stack of small T's. Right. Traumas. And so... Mm-hmm. About a third of our brain functioning is physically inherited, and about two-thirds is experienced, developed. And so that kind of combined influence, I could have a brain scan just like this, but had an emotionally very traumatic developmental years. That's Uh that's so wild how the brain deals with trauma i mean because it's almost like i mean the way that i'm perceiving that is that the brain can't differentiate between physical and emotional mm-hmm. pain i mean that's not that's, much yeah, yeah, yeah it really that's actually that's pretty wild yeah and and needing yeah. something short term to make me make sense of it or forget about it and get it out of that mm-hmm. state and i find drugs or alcohol then uh, after years of doing that could that compound that? Yeah, it could because the substances, you, you know, they f- can physically alter our brain. Mm. Um, that's how addiction develops, that it's, it actually changes our brain's ability to produce the neurotransmitters on its own. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, if I drink a lot of alcohol, it, through my gut to the blood-brain barrier, causes a flood of GABA gamma ambuteric acid neurotransmitter to be released in my brain. But if I do that enough, my brain being very efficient starts going, huh, why am I putting all this energy into making GABA when we keep getting it from an external source? I guess I don't need to make it anymore. Right. And so it stops making it. And so right. then when I don't drink, I have withdraws. I, mm. you know, I'm shaking, I'm anxious and all those things, um, that show up. And it's because my brain is being very efficient and it's going, Oh, we don't need to make any more GABA or not very much anymore. So there's a physical change in the brain as part of addiction too. And that's why mm. in like recovery centers, you would, you, there's, there's providers that, that sort of um, intermediate work is intermediate intermediaries right. to that to that process. Right. Okay. I I understand that now. Yeah. Okay. All right. So you so you started to get into the neurofeedback and stuff like that. What was your experience with that? Yeah. So I and explain the type. So you do like the traditional neurofeedback. Is that is that am I? Yeah. Right about that? Is yeah, that, okay. that's funny to call it traditional. Yeah. I actually don't I don't know. Yes, there are a few different types of neurofeedback yeah. and I don't know exactly like timing on different development of different ones. Yeah. But this is because of this bell curve and where I was explaining the de- standard deviation concept. This is called a Z-score neurofeedback. And um so this is the kind that was done with me. And so I was initially introduced to this. And this is what I started researching when I wanted to be able to provide it. And it wasn't until shortly after that that I started to learn, oh, there are other kinds. And, you know, yeah. so I can't speak as much about other kinds. I have very limited experience there. But the Z-score neurofeedback is this. It's based on understanding this, the brain map. Sometimes people just call it brain map. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, so taking this information and combining it with the stated experience, like I told you, I was experiencing depression, anxiety, sleep issues, suicidal thoughts, and all that. So 
combining that, then looking at, okay, what, what is the most important issue to the, the client here? You know, what's the number one issue they want to address? Because sometimes if we can start addressing there where they start to feel a little bit of relief, there's a bit of a domino effect and the other areas become a little easier to treat too. Mm, okay. 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 Is this a good starting point though? Right oh, yeah. here with this? I mean, everybody's for each of those other kinds, they're going to still look at something like this. I don't know if they look at this. I think they would find this information helpful, but I don't know if they okay. would be, okay. if it would be useful for their treatment or not. I gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So for myself, I dove into doing neurofeedback twice a week and I don't remember exactly how many sessions was noticing what changed at that time. I wasn't paying attention to that. Typically, uh, like four or five sessions in people go, Oh, I'm noticing something. I'm not sure what it is, but there's something, you know, the first session, they're just like, wow, that was weird. Trying to figure that out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but four or five sessions in they go, ah, oh, there's something changing in about 20 to 30 sessions in they are, they've experienced one standard deviation of change. On here. So if we were to do another brain map, it would show the change. And often they'd say, yeah, you know, this happens once in a while, but I'm just managing it so much better. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. combining the experience with the brain map, getting, getting some treatment. Yeah. And about 20 to 30 sessions, we really expect to definitely be seeing some change. And then there's some some things that take more, maybe 40 to 50 sessions, you know, if someone's had a really severe TBI. Mm-hmm. So I did a whole bunch of treatment with my initial, you know, riding my bike, hit by car, two years later, jump. And by the way, two years after that incident, they were like, other people had said, oh, it's been two years. Like, your, your brain is not going to be able to be fixed. It's been two years. You're past the point. You've, you've waited too long. And I kind of thought, well, that means I have nothing to lose. So I did experience a lot of success and progress with that. And then uh, a couple of years after that, I was snowboarding and I got another TBI. Oh, no. But <laughs> oh, my I, goodness. <laughs> Danny, get it. But I was smart enough to jump right into it. <laughs> oh, no. So, oh, wow. yeah, I got help much faster that time. And then snowboarding, got another TBI. And then, <laughs> so I had two from snowboarding. And. Um, yeah, I've used a lot of neurofeedback in that. <laughs> yeah. So, so what was your, so you started out with like the depression, the anxiety, like all these unconscious kind of things. Yep. What was like the first thing to go for you? Like what were like the little subtle changes? Cause with my, like when I, when I have done what, what's the Brandon neurofeed, the Z, Z score, Z uh-huh. score. So when I, so when I did that, I, I noticed that I was, when I first came in, like I was not able to think basically. Mm. And the first thing that started to come back was that I was able to like complete thoughts and to like see how that related to other people and my perceptions. And, um, like it was, it was almost like I was like the fog had kind of been lifted. Mm -hmm. What was your experience coming from like all the unconscious stress and depression, all that stuff? Like what was the first thing to kind of change? I wish I had kept more of a journal, yeah. you know, or just marking those things down. It's hard to remember. I mean, it, it can be because it was yeah. a while ago. It was. It was. Uh, it was a while ago. 
when when I work with clients, I have a questionnaire that I actually brought it, and I ask them the same symptom checklist about every month or so, so that we can keep track of what's changing. Because especially after a TBI, it's typical that there's initial symptoms that appear really strong. And then maybe a month later, they're a little less, but something else has popped up. And so things come and go a little bit, which is not necessarily the same as someone who hasn't had a TBI, but it was like, Hey, I've had this history of ADHD or anxiety or something. And I just, okay, they have a more steady history to draw upon. So then I would expect to see a more steady uh, treatment improvement. But yeah, I always ask my clients about every month a list of questions because yeah. I wish I had had more of that information. Yeah, well, so so if you don't remember that, like, what is like? Do you still experience any type of symptomatic stuff? Now I don't know if that's too personal of a question. I mean, any of the any flashbacks or like anything that kind of yeah brings you back into that moment. I have no memory of the day. And I still don't, yeah. so that's yeah. okay. Yeah, of I'm course. I'm totally fine with that. Um, and if everyone says that I was conscious, like I was talking to the people around me, but I don't remember it. So I just go, okay, my, that's my brain yeah. pr- maybe protecting myself or something, and that's okay. Yeah. Um, so I don't have flashbacks in that way. Uh, I Occasionally, you know, there's anxiety provoking experiences. Yeah. And I think having so much more awareness of about them has been extremely helpful, but I, I I wouldn't call them flashbacks in, in the way or getting triggered back to that incident. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm almost looking. So, so I guess my, my experience is like when I had, I I had actual PTSD flashbacks where like I was back in that moment mm-hmm. and then I had residual like symptoms of like I mean panic attacks, anxiety and stuff like that and they do occasionally like to creep up on me but I think they're so much more manageable now because I've done this type of work. Yeah. And um yeah, I, I think, like, I, I guess I'm just asking, like, is it's I'm assuming it's more manageable now. Much more manageable, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Did you find, too, that it's it becomes more manageable through, through education and knowledge and learning? Yeah. Because then um, you feel like you can almost remove your own story and get out of your own way. Yeah, because we do have stories about what's going on, and the stories are not always helpful. Mm -mm. No. So being able to recognize that I have a story and being able to explore that story and consider if there's a different story. Right. And, And I think that's a big part of, like on the brain map, bringing what's in the back of my head that I'm not aware of into the front, so I am aware of it. Yeah, yeah. So it's awareness to bring more insight and yeah. then connecting cognitively those patterns yeah. and pattern recognition and go, Oh, and when, once we have the knowledge, the education, you, you're getting out of the way of yourself. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. In a, in a, in a way, I think this is fascinating stuff. And I really think, 
Um, have you have you ever done any EMDR stuff, or do you have any experience with that? Do you know anything about? I have been on the client side of EMDR, not yeah. on the provider side. So I I know people who do provide it, heard them talk about it, but I've never actually been so trained. So I, I from from what I've gathered, so I've done I've done this type of neural feedback. I do the neurooptimal neural feedback. I still do that, and I've also done EMDR, and EMDR was. I want to say it was so similar. It's almost like a cousin to neural feedback, hmm. but the EMDR was more. I thought was more invasive, because I because I feel like when I started to do the EMDR, I had to actively process the yeah. stuff that I had been like. I did EMDR for a car crash that I was in when I was in high school, and I had to relive that car crash, which was not helpful for me yeah. <laughs> you know because then i had to i had to sit there and like be in that moment but i feel like when i was able to sit down and do the neural feedback it was i i i when i have like a really heavy neural feedback session sometimes i'll have like a week where like my brain is trying to process stuff and i'm self-aware enough now to know that like because I, I get a little zoned out I you know I disassociate sometimes especially when I'm like processing heavily like it, like my traumas you know like if I have a big week where like that decides to come back up and I do a couple sessions I'm going to be processing that for a week and I'm not okay mm-hmm. um, but the but I'm not like in that moment like I was with EMDR so I feel like for me personally I think the neural feedback was more beneficial because it didn't put me right back in that moment mm-hmm. like the EMDR did. Um, I don't know. Have you guys ever done? So would you? Would you? Based on what you just said, then EMDR is something for somebody that's got a little more time in perhaps their recovery from the injury or whatever, so that you have more time to step back and understand the process of just what I said, getting out of the way of yourself and observing your story rather than just walking away for the next week and a half and telling yourselves what a, what a, a, you know, how wrong you are or feeling the pain and not letting it just sit with it. That's, that's kind of, it takes some experience to do that. Yeah, I'm not, I I mean, mean I'm not, I'm definitely not a therapist. And so I don't know like exactly like what the actual benefit. I know that like for me personally, when I started to do the EMDR, I was like a couple of years into my sobriety. But how about now that you've worked on mindfulness and being able to step outside and away from yourself just to learn to observe rather than to judge? So like, so you're asking like if now, if I were to go back and do EMDR or something like that? Yeah, yeah. I, I I'm gonna be a hundred percent honest with the shit I've been through. Hell no, okay. I like I'm I'm actually I don't know. I think my brain would interpret it differently now, because I think it was, I think that when I started doing it, I had not done any type of like deep introspective work on myself. I mean I had done like a set of steps and I'd done like a sweat lodge and I'd done like some, you know some holotropic holotropic kind of stuff. Breathing. I mean some which is which is definitely helped me with a lot of my trauma but the holotropic actually was very similar to the emdr experience where um and that's why you know we've talked about this on this podcast before and it's definitely um it's not super recommended for people in recovery um because it does 
it does activate DMT in the lungs. And so you don't actually get, you don't get like intoxicated because it is like specifically like when, when we had Jill on here and she was talking about like the ketamine assisted therapy. Yeah. So it's not, it's not, you're not there to party, you know, you're there, right. you're there to dig into the depths of your soul. And, but a lot of people, like a lot of people in the group, the IOP group that I actually did this holotropic breath work to there was intentions going into it, you know, about what they thought they were going to get out of it. Um, but that was, I would say even more painful than the EMDR for me, because that really, that almost like literally tangibly puts you in that situation again. It was a deep dive. You know, it was a deeper dive than EMDR, but for, I, I don't know, like, I think my brain would interpret that EMDR differently now because I have more self-awareness and I have more tools to be able to work through it. And so I think that it's really important that if you're going to do any type of trauma work, whether it be EMDR, neurofeedback, you know, what have you, that you have to be guided by someone. You have to, you have, to have some type of external support Absolutely. on top of it because stuff comes up that is sometimes too much for us to handle. Um, and so being able to like lean back and have that support, which I do have that now. So I might, I might be able to do it, but I don't need to because the neurofeedback has done exactly what the EMDR would have done to begin with. It just took a little bit longer. You just needed, it sounds like you both just kind of needed a bump just to let the brain say, Oh, okay. This is the path. Yeah. I think to reconnect the subconscious with the conscious, so they're yeah. they're working in unison again. I think our brain is constantly wanting. Well, it is constantly adapting, and it is constantly wanting to um, engage in adapting to manage in a better, more helpful way. Mm-hmm. And ne- one of the things this neurofeedback does is it identifies where are the bottlenecks that are preventing that adaptation from occurring. Because we're meant to adapt. As human beings, we are designed to constantly adapt. In the best possible, most streamlined way. Well, sometimes we do in really unhelpful ways, too. (laughs) (laughs) But it it ultimately is more welcoming to, to being in its most proficient state, wouldn't you say? Maybe not. I, I, Maybe I not. I'm like, I'm not. No. No. <laughs> How about no? No. I would say I would say that that's, stop that's, drinking. How about no? Yeah. No. That, I would say that that's like the best outcome, but I don't think that's where we start. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, th- okay. I don't yeah. know. If or where we're right. led into. I mean, I was looking at this, and I started thinking of all the head injuries I've had. Like at 13, I had a bike wreck. Mm-hmm. No helmet. Landed on my head. I was unconscious for six hours. Oh, man. And uh, they, I just once I was conscious, they made me stay up for like two days straight because. Oh yes, oh, I know that's You're a dog. That I did. <laughs> um, and you know, back in the band days, we were so into headbutting each oh, other. Oh yeah, my forehead is scarred. The bone is scarred <laughs> oh, from doing gosh. all that. And skiing when I lived in Lake Tahoe, I got knocked out skiing, doing a bump run when it was all icy. So I'm like, right. oh, I know what my brain looks like. <laughs> it's been damaged. Between that and, you know, drinking and 
sure. other substances and sure. just stupid shit that I've done my whole life. Right. So, yeah, but, yeah, and same thing, you know, I mean, I still, uh, last night, we were, I was having a conversation with some people who were doing fundraising for, like, teen suicide and all this stuff, and I started talking about my suicidal ideations. I was getting all teary-eyed and like, don't start crying in front of these people. Jesus Christ, what yeah. is wrong with you? But, you know, it's just so, like, it's right there still. Yeah. Yes. Even though I'm aware of it and it's been my whole life I've done. But I started, as you were talking about your brain, I started thinking about, like, things got way worse in my head after that bike wreck at 14. Mm. Like, really, that's when I started getting really dark. Mm-hmm. So, yes. Um, so, bad, bad. Yeah, I think for us older generation, sorry, Kyle, I might leave you out of this. Yeah. <laughs> As an older generation people, I think concussions used to be thought of much, much differently than they are now. And uh, they, in some ways, used to minimize, like, oh, but he'll get, he's young, he'll get over it. You yeah, know? He'll, he'll grow out of it. Exactly. Yeah. Or, like, keep him awake, just don't let him sleep. And, like... <sighs> Our brains need sleep. (laughs) I remember that. I don't remember the wreck or much of that day, but I remember just being exhausted coming home from the hospital and my mom having to stay up with me all night. And I was just like, I just want to sleep. And I'm like, you can't. You'll go into a coma. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, fine. Just let me sleep. I don't care. (laughs) Right. So, so, um, you know, let me hit on. There's, oh, yeah, we, yeah. we kind of brushed over. We we hit on like the neurofeedback sessions. So the neuro, after doing this, the brain mapping, the neurofeedback sessions are then going. Okay, this is the part we want to treat. And so putting the electrodes on the brain, wherever that spot is for the person, and then connecting that into the computer and that onto a screen. And so in the computer, it's set for, okay, here's the parameters of what we want to train the brain to start adjusting towards. And on the screen, there's a video game. And there's, well, that's a very generous word. Yeah. It's it's not, not really, not really a game, a video interaction, something. What does Um, that look like? So there's a bunch of different ones to choose from, but let's just say you chose the one that has a race car on it. And there's this race car, and you're looking... Oops, sorry. You're just sitting there looking at the screen and going, why is the car not going? And then all of a sudden, the car goes great in the middle of the track, and then it stops. And then it goes off to the side, and you're like, I don't get it. I'm not controlling it. Actually, your brain waves are controlling it. And what's happening is... When the car is doing what you're wanting it to do, which is in the middle of the track, going fast, everything's working, the sound is good, everything's on fire, your brain is getting dopamine and it's going, yes, yes, this is good. And then when it stops, you know, on the video screen, when the car stops or goes off the track or the sound is not good or something, it's frustrating for the brain because it's not working. So your brain then experientially, it's motivated to try to do whatever it needs to, you know, to adjust itself to get the, the positive dopamine reward. Uh, But what's happening on the computer side is I've set the parameters so, like, if your brain waves happen to wander into the correct space, and I give it pretty wide parameters to start with, everything is going to go great on the screen. And so maybe in a three-minute 
neurofeedback round, you get about a third to a half of the time getting some positive reward. But as that starts to increase and you're like, oh yeah, this is easy. I adjust the parameters to make it just a little bit harder. So basic idea is operant conditioning. Okay. So it, like, and its reward is a little treat of dopamine. Exactly. It's little just getting drip. that little hit of yep. dopamine. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's so which at that time then I don't know if this is way out of the conversation, but that that then is the parasympathetic. It brings you down. It calms you. It's it's like, ooh. So, does that have anything to do with it? Yeah. So it can do. Dopamine is one of those interesting neurofeed. It can do both. It's a neurotransmitter that can either be excitatory reward or it can be inhibitory reward. Um, most neuro um, neurotransmitters do one or the other. Okay. They either are excitatory or inhibitory, and we never just affect one. It's, all, it's more like the mobile hanging above a baby's crib that if you tug on one thing, everything on that mobile kind of moves around and swings. Mm. Uh, but dopamine can do either one. It can be excitatory or inhibitory. So it depends a bit on what part of the brain, where we're working, what's going on. But generally, I mean, it's positive, clearly. Oh, yeah. But it just depends on what part of the brain that we're, we're treating. Okay. But the score goes up. You're like, oh, yeah, this is fun. It's not as frustrating because I'm figuring out what's happening on the screen. Right. And pretty soon, your brain subconsciously starts to recognize, I can wander anywhere that I want, but I really like it when I'm over here. This is uh, really happy when I'm over here. Okay. So it isn't that we're restricting it. It's your brain choosing to shift itself. It's more fun to be over there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's more reward. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So it's healing by in a positive way yeah. through reward. That is yeah. so it's fascinating. Pa- it's, yeah. And now, now yeah. what does that look like? Is that some sort of electro thing on your head too? It is. Yeah. It's, wow. But instead of a full cap, it's just usually one or two, sometimes three, but usually one or two little tiny, um, like the fingertip size, a little electrode on a wire connected to another box to the computer. But yeah, put a little bit of... Uh, like paste on there and just stick it on the scalp and then having a clip on the ear to uh it's grounding the uh, the equipment and you're controlling it just with thought yeah that is so cool it's crazy i want to play with this video game i don't even like video games yeah never liked them but i want to do this one when you said when you said this 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 interactive thing i was thinking man i was picturing donkey kong or something that's a little out of the that's a little too 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 much no it's 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 interesting so with time okay so I, i understand the concept right like how it's working so but when you're not on the machines you go home and a week later how do you so how how does it correlate process like is your brain in that time you're on the machine rewiring itself so it knows that down the road to keep doing this or do you just fall back into the rut you've been in meant you know with the way your brain's processing yep good question so it you're Within a few hours and days, your brain can reallocate its own resources. So it's like shifting where it focuses. It takes a few weeks to truly produce new uh, neurons to make new 
totally right. new connections. So that's the the neurons that fire together, wire together. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yep. yes. Yep. Right. So, um, and think about each. Sorry, everyone. Each... <laughs> yeah, we got dogs again. Each neurofeedback session is like taking your brain to the gym. So if you go to the gym, there is a positive, you know, you do the workout, there's a positive effect from it. And if you go more frequently to the gym, you see the effects changes faster. So I've had people who are like, Hey, I'm here for spring break. How many sessions can we get in? I say, okay, just like going to the gym, you're going to have a workout at the end of the workout. You're going to feel a little bit tired and you're going to need to rest. So we can do two sessions a day if you commit to taking rest, you know, and make those sessions effective. But if you're not going to take the rest time, then those sessions are hardly worth it. Mm -hmm. So I've had it where we cram a bunch in in a week or two, but but much more typical is someone is going to come in two or three times a week over however many months they need. Okay. uh, Follow up. Are there new tropics that people take to help? Expedite the wiring. I. What is so, a nootropic? So a nootropic. blue. Methylene, oh, okay. So okay. Yeah. Methylene, yes. methylene blue. We take. Yes. So the things to help you function more optimally, right? Mm-hmm. So for like, like you've started taking GABA. We had a, right, didn't you? Is that I, what so you occasionally I take back? GABA. So I take. So I I can speak from experience. I have Ooh. taken the methylene blue before i've done a neural feedback session and i do usually have really good neural feedback sessions because my brain is just more receptive to interpreting new information correctly right. if that makes sense right. okay and yeah that's just yeah. so for me because yep. i'm super into like the biohacking thing like trying to use technology synergistically with maybe you know methylene blue which is a mad-made chemical but herbs um, different vitamins, you know. So I was just wondering if there's, you know, so say you hook me up and then I get home and part of my regimen is to say take a certain B vitamin that helps or lion's mane. So I take lion's mane every day, which is shown to help neurons grow faster, which is a mushroom. So, um, so does, is there any like science where, or, or is there any research where they're saying, let's try, Neurofeedback and do lion's mane and see if these neural pathways form faster. Yeah, the, I know very limited about that. Um, I have different people who have said, kind of like you were just saying, like, "Hey, this has been really effective for me." I also, literally, just last week, talking to someone who works at a youth treatment center, and they're the medical prescriber there, and they said, "Oh yeah, I prescribed this and this because I found that combined they have the effect of." growing, you know, neurons faster. And I was like, what? I need to know more about this. So I, I hear different things like that, but as far as like, Hey, what's the evidence-based research? I don't have any to, to present right now. Yeah. Yeah. So I I did have another experience where I was actually doing a session with you and I had a, I had like a day where I was going to come see you and I had a panic attack earlier in the day or something like that and i took an l-theanine and i came in to do the session with you and my brain did not want to participate Hmm. i remember i remember that vividly where it was a session that i had with you where my brain just did not want to do it and so i know so i know that they it definitely can affect the brain because that l-theanine 
really calms down everything. Yeah, it slows it way down. Oh, your brain was just wanting to rest. It, it was, was wanting like, to rest. It was out. like I don't I don't want to work out right yeah. now, but I do remember Leave me that. alone. Yeah, there was one session I had where it was just like like I yeah. probably shouldn't have even come in that day. The N equal one guy in my brain was like, Man, I'd I'd love to just hook up to that machine. Try something, see what it does. Right. Like, so different supplements to see how your brain oh, yeah. works on it. And then other ones to see how quickly you can help those neural pathways form. So, I don't know. Yeah, that's, that's the weird shit I think sure. about all the no, time. No, it's great. Great question. I think that you could probably access that information. I, I would think the man, whoever makes uh, these... Well, yeah, yeah. these probably I mean, have done right. that to Maybe. say, "Ooh, right. they they are stimulating and enhancing." But I would think if if yeah. there was that or research, hindering. there would be like everyone's like, "All right, here, this this is beneficial." So afterwards, go take a lion's mane or whatever, a mushroom blend, cordyceps, whatever. I mean, I know from the lion's mane has been researched, so that's one I always go back to. Right, the, that you hear most. Yeah, right. my my therapist tells me to to eat protein and have water. Right. Like, especially if I do a couple sessions in a day, um, I need, she says that I need to drink a lot of water. I need to have a lot of protein right. mm-hmm. and I don't exact, I haven't really dug into why, um, so I don't know. This sounds like a future podcast episode. It actually, yeah. Like, like we were talking to Danny before this. We're going to have Danny on another 10 to 12 times. Well, after there's, this. There's, obviously, there's obviously a correlation between the protein yeah. and the building up of the new neurons. Yeah. So a regeneration of new neurons. Yeah, it, um, it seems like it. it I'm I, like I'm it. thinking about information that I have that I'm like, hmm, I'm going to have to dig more into some of these things <laughs> yeah. be, before I, I like commit to anything. I know in doing research, so I, one of the books that I brought, I I, I like books and materials, so I always have stuff <laughs> That's around. That's okay. That's cool. So That's really good. I love it. One of the books that I brought is about uh, using neurofeedback for different things, and it relates to what we were just saying, so I'm going to tie it back to that. So neurofeedback started as, um, and there's the most research about using it for ADHD, ADD. That is like, absolutely, there is so much empirical supported research that is very efficacious, they call it for that. And then there's other things where it's um, like probably efficacious, you know, and it gradually steps back to, well, you know, if someone wants to try it, no harm, but it's like probably not really gonna, you know, help this thing. So I'm going to tell you the four levels, um, and I'm going to read here because I have it marked in the book. Um, oh, and neurofeedback is a type of biofeedback, just in case, if that's part of the conversation, mm-hmm. uh, just so yeah. no, an understanding. Very yeah. good to know. Yeah. So from the bigger umbrella of biofeedback, neurofeedback is a much more narrow, specific part of biofeedback. And so level one would be something that is not empirically supported. It just means there's anecdotal, anecdotal evidence. Somebody's like, oh yeah, it helped me, but that's, and, and that's interesting and good, but it doesn't really necessarily transfer to other situations. Level two would be possibly efficacious where there's been at least one study that supports it, uh, but maybe not a broad amount of information. And level three would be probably efficacious where there's been multiple studies done. There's a wait list of controlled studies. There's a good amount of research. 
so you can you can speak pretty confidently and then level four efficacious is vast amounts of research across you know different peer-reviewed um controlled environments yeah so i mean we can go through all the details but Basically, there's four levels. So sometimes when someone says, oh, yeah, there's a study to support this, it's worth asking, tell me more about that study. Like, is it just one study? Is it um, in, a, you know, applying it to this specific kind of treatment situation? Or is it, well, it worked with people in that age group or that setting, but maybe there's not as much evidence for it in the situation I want to apply it. So um, just... Yeah, we could totally look up anything if someone was interested. But even things like here, irritable bowel, irritable bowel syndrome, it's level four. It's highly efficacious, oh where I gosh. never would have guessed that <laughs> neurofeedback would be effective wow. in that situation. Yeah, this is this is great to know for all of our listeners, too, that aren't even familiar with this. Where do I begin and what and how do I analyze what's best for me? Right. In my circumstance and situations, somebody listening to this might not even be in recovery, but they've got a yeah. whole host of variety of other traumas or issues and, and depression. Yeah, and, or have other medical things going on that right. they didn't recognize could be related to their recovery yes. and everything. And that, yeah, that really, we're not. I like how I think Gabor Mate says we're not different systems. It's not like we have this psychological system and then the circulatory system and then this muscle system. Those are just different parts of one system. We are one complete system. So sometimes the effect that we're experiencing, maybe in our stomach, we don't think about how that could be connected to a trauma or yeah, something else. Absolutely, yeah. it's all, it becomes symptomatic if you if you know what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. I love that you quote Gaber Mate. We're always we're always <laughs> yeah. on the, the. We talk about him a lot. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So Bessel well, I, but I Cole think the the, uh, the human humans in general like to compartmentalize their body. Like no one looks at it holistically. Like. You know, oh, I got this problem here, but no, you know, I mean, especially with the research on the whole, you know, gut brain axis, oh, yeah. you know, and yeah. having dealt with intestinal issues for 30 years and finally kind of have them under control, yeah. you know, I'm sure there was a facet in mine that's part of whatever's fucked up in my head because it's pretty fucked up up there. Welcome into the studio <laughs> yeah. today, Danny. Welcome to Alan's I world. feel like I fit. Thank you. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so, you know, but I think we do that. Like, no one looks at the, the whole, the body as a whole, and that all this is integrated, and mm-hmm. it's not just this. You know, I mean, if you get stabbed, sure, you got stabbed. That's that's a different thing. But if if you're having like chronic issues, like you got to look subtle, at subtle subtle issues. You know, like I was have, and yeah. I don't play tennis because I'm even though I'm an old white guy, it's not my kind of vibe. But I was <laughs> having terrible tennis issue, elbow for a while. I mean, it was debilitating so everyone's like oh you got to work on your forearm right and and nothing helped it just kept getting worse but then i go online i watch this guy and he's like it's your shoulder Mm. so i did all these shoulder exercises and it was gone and it's never come back 
right? Hmm. So, so wild you know, how so that happens. Right, yeah. The common thought is here's where your problem is, but the problem was here. And the problem was probably partly here because, you know, I'm not a tennis player, so how do I get tennis elbow? Right. So, um, so the name of it was partly the problem. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. And it yeah. began a whole story yeah. that you yeah. were telling yourself yeah. about how you yeah. thought oh you goodness. were John McEnroe or something, yeah. in your yeah. dreams or something, and you weren't. I, I, I had the same anger issues probably. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, I was, and speaking of that, last night talking to uh, someone I hadn't seen in 40 years, they would talk, tell me how, uh, well, they were talking to our mutual friend, Corey, saying how I was not not a very nice person back then which i said well chris is, will admit that you know he's told you know and she's like you were just the darkest person she's like and it was just everyone got it it was just like no one escaped this. the wrath the black yeah. hole of yeah. alan he was a, just tasmanian devil is the only image you have when we would go to parties because yeah. i would leave right, right away I would not want to be anywhere near him because I knew something was going to get ruined. <laughs> like somebody's yeah, apartment, but, you know. So it was somebody's night, something right. was going to just be wrecked yeah. at when he came in the room. So yeah, it, it was nice. It was nice actually talking to these people and like, wow, you're totally different, and you're very calm, and you're not like. Yeah. What I was told is your vibe is good, which is all I do is vibe. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you know, I oh mean, my gosh. anyhow, um, I like I love this. The, the going back to the you put the th- the things on there and you do this like mental uh, stimulation mm-hmm. activity gym mm-hmm. work with by staring at this video game, and you say it takes two to three weeks and you start to feel something. Yeah, and, to, uh, maybe about four sessions. So it depends okay. how frequently you do sessions, but yeah. Do you remember what started to happen to your mood after that? Just out of curiosity. Yeah, I. I Did you feel? I know generally like less uh, stress. The therapy term is labile, uh, more less depression and anxiety, less swinging all over, and just able to regulate better. And with that came a better sense of control, and you understood mm-hmm. what was starting to really happen. And you could then, the brain is really on fire now, and it's going boom, 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 and all the receptors are starting to really take off and sort of rewire themselves mm-hmm. at that point. Mm-hmm. So this was the bump you needed. It it was. Mm-hmm. I there are some things that are not going to be changed through talk therapy. They can um, just simply like ADHD or ADD is not going to be changed through talk therapy. We can get coping skills to manage ourselves better, but it's not going to really change the structure of our brain. Yes. So like someone who ADHD or ADD might come in and go, you know what? I've kind of learned, you know, these things about myself and I can manage better. And I know I shouldn't have this kind of job or I should have this kind, um, but it's still there. And it's, you know, it's not always frustrating. So not every symptom is necessarily good or bad. It's, is it helpful or not helpful? Mm-hmm. Uh, because someone who's ADHD or ADD might go, well, it really helps me because I work in an environment where I'm just, you know, pinging all over and I can really jump from thing to thing. And, um, 
But hey, if they're trying to sit at a desk and do computer work and finding that it takes forever and somebody else is, you know, get, getting theirs done really quickly, then it's, you know, interrupting function and it's really frustrating. So just like um, someone who has, might show in here as having some OCD t- symptoms, uh, there, <laughs> my hand just got laid up on this. It's just automatically. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> but we could then explore, like, are these symptoms actually helping you? Like Steve Jobs, they helped him. He had a lot of those symptoms. Really? But they were very helpful in being successful and getting what he wanted to do, you know. Oh. But someone else might go, yeah, they're actually getting in the way of my relationships or of doing things that I want to do. Okay, well, then let's figure out how to maybe adjust those a little bit. So it, looking at symptoms doesn't necessarily mean good or bad. It's just more, are they helpful or are they harmful right yeah because you can have those like so in the early 2000s i did a lot of moonlighting computer programming sometimes i would be up for like 40 hours straight because i was writing code and something would break and i would just i couldn't sleep i mean i knew if i got in bed i wasn't going to sleep because i'm running it all through my head and until i get it done i gotta just stay on that task even though it was painful but i couldn't let it go you know, yes. so to me, that kind of like OCD-ish yep. behavior was beneficial because it got the job done and I got the money. I mean, it was not beneficial for my health to stay up for two <laughs> days straight. Like, I'm writing code. And then you'd think it was done and you'd hit it and it would crash. And you're like, okay, there's something. But, you know, there's 50,000 lines you have to mm-hmm. go through to try to figure out that one little period or comma or whatever that wasn't in the right place that kept crashing it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And that's the, that's the you got to know the sort of. You got to know what type of a person too would would help. I mean, really, I know that I'm the extreme opposite of of Alan because he he is will take time, research, investigate something, and and just break it down, and then can rebuild a whole Volkswagen bus, every single nut and bolt. I don't have two seconds worth of that sort of attention span. I don't mean I am honestly. the flightiest, <laughs> like, honestly, the good flightiest for you, Alan. in the <laughs> world. And that sort of thing, just that brain, that sort of thing and activity and, and uh, ability to focus blows me away. Mm-hmm. But I do not have that. I'm the extreme opposite. I'm very right hemisphered. I'm very just daydreamy. I'm very, and that's how I operate. Maybe sometimes to a fault. And that's where this would be good for me to find if there's a big block in there somewhere. We, because Steve yeah. Jobs, I am not, so my apparently <laughs> <laughs> yeah. hasn't served. Honestly, I think it would be really cool. I mean, at some point, if we got you back in here and you brought your little doodads oh, and yeah, stuff and hooked, all, hooked. Honestly, we hooked both of them up. <laughs> <laughs> at the same time. Wait, wait. Yeah, the same time. <laughs> I mean, I think it, I think it would be kind of interesting just to... I, I think it was it was really beneficial for me to see what was going on. I'll I mean, bet. it was... Yeah, and to me, it's, it's fascinating cool. just because yeah. a, you know, your story is similar to mine. Like, you know, the suicidal ideations, the depression. I don't know if it's really depression... It's just moody as fuck sometimes, you know? <laughs> um, 
And then I'm like, wow, maybe my brain is pretty broken in there. Which maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I don't know, but it'd be kind of cool to find out. It might be interesting. Right? I don't know. Well, so yeah. this you see, like, you see that 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 just exactly as you put it. It always seems to be the third and the last option. Like my brain can't be broken in any way. It's got to be me. Mm. It's got to be me. And that's my problem. And it's know? got to be mm-hmm. the way I'm showing up in the world. And this is why it's all me, me, me. Shame. But, because yep. it's still that, that same uh, childhood development, mm-hmm. right? It's yeah. all about me, even if it's parents fighting in the other room and it's I'm six years old, it's still going to be my fault. So we're going to carry that developmental attitude. Yeah. To out into the world, and so I could be a 14-year-old boy or girl, and whether something happens in the school halls, I'm still, there's that component that's going to go to me first, mm-hmm. and whether it's right or wrong has nothing to do with you, but that's just how the brain processes. So our story becomes bigger than any other thing, and, you know, for for those out there that are struggling with this sort of thing, uh, man, look, get get help, get help, yeah. get out yeah. of your own way, get out of your own story, um, get out of. I just, boy, that would you just you understand what I'm saying? That I could be do. the root of a lot of people's pain and misery in life, it and is, isolation yeah. and loneliness and all the other terribly difficult things that that come with that with that story. So if anybody's listening, man, and and that sounds remotely like you, you know, check this out. So this so out. are you you're an addiction counselor? Yeah. Is that is that getting that license correct? So yeah, I should have said that at the beginning. So I'm a licensed professional counselor and licensed addiction counselor. Okay. So yes. Okay, mm-hmm. so and so you know that like when we get into when we get into drug and alcohol recovery like the drug and alcohol is more of a symptom exactly. than like the actual cause. And so this is what we're talking about on this podcast is mm-hmm. getting down to the actual root cause as opposed to symptoms. Absolutely. And what did you learn? What's the first thing you learned in AA when you walked in the door? That I, I It's meant, a symptom yeah. of a much greater problem. Oh, I was going to say that I was an and arrogant that, piece of shit. I, what, no, <laughs> no, no, but I'll tell you. The first thing I learned I'll is that you. I'm arrogant. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> and then I turned around and walked out. Yeah. yeah uh, like, I don't want to hear coming, that. <laughs> uh, I think that was the most freeing thing hmm. for me in recovery. That was the first big turning point for me was it's not the alcohol. It's me. Oh, thank God. That empowered me. It put me somewhat, even though I had no fucking clue what was wrong with me, um, I, I, it still gave me a sense of control and it put me at ease knowing that I can do something about this now. Because mm-hmm. it's not this outside entity that's got me. No, I... You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I think part, there's a kind of an internal aspect to what you're describing that I was thinking of, and that is our culture slash society has certain values about how people function and about what types of skills or brain functions are valued. And... Um, Having acceptance for who I am as 
being different than someone else and not fitting in the culture that whoever has influenced and developed that I may just function a little different and having a lot, developing acceptance for that, um, which I, I, I'm being cautious about not saying, well, we just need to accept our drug and alcohol use, of course, not that, but, but acceptance for, you just described yourself as right hemisphere dominant, that you have this much more, I don't remember even what words you Imaginative, used. intuitive, yeah. uh, I run on intuition. So right Sometimes to a big to big fault. When when our brain takes in new information, it actually filters through the right hemisphere first because our right hemisphere looks at what's the big picture here. How does this fit in yes. context yes. of everything else I understand? Yeah. And it wants to know how does it fit, and then it sends that information over to the left hemisphere, and the left hemisphere wants to break it down into bullet points to understand some details to know how does you know how does each little detail here matter and work and our culture has a pretty high value on that left hemisphere function it's very masculine yeah but not every culture does like if you go to more asian cultures they have a, more of a value on let's look at the big picture let's look at how do these the things go together how do, mm-hmm. so it's going okay my brain isn't working necessarily in the wrong way it's actually just working in a slightly different way but it gives me other skills and awareness so if we were to ask you to draw a picture using only your left hemisphere your picture of like of a house might have a very detailed uh front door and a very detailed you know, window or chimney or something, you know, just all these very detailed little things all over, but they'd be a little bit floating out there uh, and not necessarily connected. But if we said, okay, now only use your right hemisphere and draw a picture of a house, you would have a much more broad picture of a house where things are connected, but you wouldn't have all the detail in there. So we need both to function well. And there's certain disordered brains who take it like uh, a brain that is more prone towards schizophrenia is going to take in from information on the left hemisphere. And it has all these detailed bits of information, but because it hasn't been filtered through the right hemisphere, it goes, Oh, we have to make our own picture of this information. And so it takes those details, sends it over. Oh. And I, yeah, yeah, I just saw your eyes go. Oh. Uh-huh. Because now <laughs> yeah. our brain goes, oh, I can make a picture of this. And that, so that kind of brain is prone towards the like conspiracy theory. Like delusions and, those, and exactly. stuff like that. Delusions. Yeah, that it's actually makes a lot of sense. It's making a delusioned picture of the world. Yeah. So it's Ugh. just... You can see how that flow of information is really important and that we need both hemispheres to communicate and function well. Yes. And it's okay to have one or the other that is like stronger and or, because it might work better in the life you're living. But having that, again, the prefrontal awareness of, oh, here's my weak points and here's my strong points and here's things I need to be cautious of because I might be prone to this fallacy or something like that. Mm-hmm. Is really helpful. Wow, that I, is, I that is learned, so beautifully, yeah, beautifully awesome. put. Um, thank you for that clarification, because 
Oh man, you had I got I had so many thoughts in there. I didn't want to stop that flow, but that was beautiful. That was exactly the way my my brain has always been. I'm I'm looking for a bigger metaphor and not small small details. I'm always broadening out, broadening out, but mm-hmm. how what's the bigger picture? Mhm. In the bigger yep. broader context. And then when I go out into the world and here's where I think I'm probably to a big fault is that I'm trying to almost superimpose that back in that sort of broad way. Hmm. Well, that can't work because that's where the left hemisphere has to say, no, we do need to set an alarm clock and we do need to be (laughs) at work on this time and we need to show up and give into account that it's X number of miles to work and that's going to take X number of time. And that's, that's all. Yeah. The grid, you know, the left hemisphere. Uh, but that's also where we get, uh, you know, our sense of control. Is it not in the in the left? Is is it's very control dominating? I yes. think because it's it oriented more towards the amygdala. Yeah. And and it, yeah. And it, it's 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 almost positioned that way, right? It's like the right is closer, buddies up to the frontal cortex more. Yep. To dream, um, and the and the and the uh, left cortex is more position towards the amygdala which is fight flight and you know freeze and and it's it's more bound for control yeah our brain is not like the two hemispheres are not truly uh symmetry i've got the words Uh, symmetrical symmetrical thank you you. (laughs) alan (laughs) so yes yes yes, that our front is a little bit bigger on the right side and the back is a little bit more on the left side so, so in this, in this right here, what we're, you discussed and these diagrams, can that show at all if if we're crossing, if there's yeah. any sort of synapses going back and forth, so that I'm communicating. So if I have a dream, I need a plan, and I need my left <laughs> hemisphere to put this plan in action. Yeah, there's there's other pages here. I, I just threw it out for you there that show connectivity between the two hemispheres and uh similar to the other one if there's nothing it means oh yeah it's just connecting communication normal between those spots but if something is blue that's slower and if it's something red it's going basically too too fast it's it's not Mm. so yeah there you go you have a little bit of extra that is super super cool if it's too fast what would be results of that. So say a stimulus happens that results in this faster than normal. That's a really good question. I'm thinking, I realized as I said it, I I knew you were going to ask that because I suddenly thought, (laughs) well, what's wrong with too fast? Don't we all want to go faster? (laughs) But But are you then prone to making a mistake, not necessarily a mistake is not the right word, but taking an action that may not be appropriate like, for the like situation. impulsivity or something. Right. No, like I don't think it's related to impulsivity, and, yeah. and because even the the pace at which the neurons communicate, it decreases over age, and and so faster communication is associated with youth. Okay, um, but it's not necessarily. Going into impulsivity, I actually don't know how to answer that. I'm going to think about that. I'm going to think about, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, think about okay. how to answer that better. Okay. Unless, unless the only way we could see it 
is in a behavior that the individual is completely unaware of and it's subconscious and it's coming out in a very subconscious way and and like that would be a great place i think is youth i mean i'm just dreaming this up as i'm going but <laughs> as you we could all do. see it you could see it in the kid maybe on a playground they're still underdeveloped but they're trying to and the brain is just connecting uh, one thing after another. The difference between and and the and the manageability between a butterfly and a monkey bar, and there it's just it's just locking on and and moving, trying to process. So, and but I, with a kid, they also have an underdeveloped you know prefrontal cortex. So they're right. not planning. They don't have all the executive function. They're much more in a just reaction mode which is what a kid is supposed to be doing their brain is like doing what it's supposed to do in a yes. way so i don't necessarily think it's yeah. okay, okay. Like, that puts me out of the yeah, conversation yeah, we, we can theorize all, right. all we want i don't know <laughs> I'm like turning your microphone off <laughs> and with that no. hey drive safe have a good day no, so um, well let me ask yeah. this one question yeah, yeah. so Go for it. uh how young of people do you work with I um, or in general with neurofeedback. Yeah, with neurofeedback, I don't typically work with young, like teenagers and below. But that's mainly just because I haven't had the opportunity. I've worked with a lot of people who've had brain injuries, and and then some people who have not had brain injuries but just want to use this to address things like depression or anxiety or and interesting you mentioned dreams I did have someone who just said I just have these overwhelming dreams so I don't have a lot of experience working with younger people but I do know it's people do like my supervisor uh he does and i've asked him different times questions about it well because we so we have these two neighbor kids that basically have moved in on the weekend and uh you know i can tell there's a lot of trauma the the five-year-old's in therapy Mm. um i asked the seven-year-old what her dad does because he lives in north dakota and she said drugs you Mm. know so I'm sitting there and, uh, you know, watching how impulsive the younger one is, like, it's, it's, it's frightening. Like, I, you know, his sister's like, he's going to end up in jail. And I'm like, he's five. Why are you saying this? You know? So I'm like, and don't well, say that around him. Yeah. You know, what they You're, do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And, and you know, he's like, I'm breaking into your house and this and that, you know? And he's always like, I found a knife. I'm oh, like, great. Get so out of the drawer. Now dude. he believes the story. Yeah. Right. So I was oh, like, wow, no. would this help with someone, a little brain like that, that's forming to kind of. Get some form yeah. of balance, maybe some kind mm-hmm. of like homie yeah. exercises yeah. to what, start what working best, with him. What's the best stage of life to do this? You know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I I do remember asking my supervisor about doing it with younger kids, and I think he said uh, six or seven was the youngest that he has yeah. worked with. Okay, um, and it, have there been studies around like the efficacy of that, or is there? I Do you know? I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Well, we might have to like, ask we might more. we were asking yeah. a lot of questions. Yeah, yeah we're those are good questions. Yeah. Well, we're yeah. throwing a lot at you, and, and I really appreciate saying I don't know because that that to me is a very um, honest answer, and a lot of people can't say I don't They'll know make because, something up because <laughs> they're you know they got some kind of ego thing like well you know and then they pile some bullshit on you, and you're like yeah, I don't <laughs> well, think I th- so. I think this know? is such so. a this is such a convoluted topic. 
I think, I mean, I think when you start dealing with the brain and you start dealing with like, you know, development as a human and, you know, all con- it's so, so in depth. Well, and so I don't know if there's like, I mean, you have to, I mean, you almost have to like publish papers as a PhD or something to really right. understand. Well, this <laughs> like, is all kind of, I mean, is... I know they've been doing biofeedback and neurofeedback for a long time, but it's still mm-hmm. kind of bleeding edge, right? Like, so there's so yeah. much we don't know about the brain. That is true. You know, yeah. And, you know, and, and I just finished, finally re- finished reading that Peter Bregan book that killed shame and anxiety. And he is so opposed to any kind of psychoactive drugs. He's like, it's a terrible, I mean, like, seriously, really, like, we don't know enough about the brain. And we're just throwing this crap at the brain, hoping that it helps. Yeah. Right. So he, he has this whole, and it's an interesting book. And, and, but to me, I'm like, okay. And I never, you know, even when I was like going through my worst of worst times, I never in my mind was like, I'm going to go. As I knew all these girls back when I was a partier, like, yeah, I'm on Paxil, I'm on this and that. But then I was like, you seem even worse than you were before, right? Like, or you'd be so like disassociated, you know, yeah. like not you like i knew this person and then they started having you know whatever mental health issues yeah. so they go to a, a psychiatrist and like oh we'll just take this pill you'll be fine you know mm. and well, then i'm like yeah wow well, you're I, even yeah. this is bad so to me i was always very leery about all those kind of things yeah whereas this to me makes way more sense like let's see what your brain's doing and work with it in a way that's not altering the chemistry of it. Because we don't know. We don't know what it's doing. Yeah, this is a great, oh, 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 um, you know, like it, It's a more holistic approach. So you're, you're, right. you're it's using, working and, the And this problem. goes back to my love of the biohacking is we're using technology to optimize the brain, to try to correct things that might be a problem. Right or not necessarily a problem, but this is a problem. When you got that much red, that's a problem, right? So um, it, it, I think this is good. Whereas, it's, it, like, if you had gone to someone and they looked at these brain scans, oh, here, just take these pills, you'll be fine, mm. right? Yeah, and then you're, you're not fine. Well, and then you, yeah. you know, and then you act on your suicidal ideation because it's not getting better, and now your wiring's getting even more fucked up because all these weird chemicals are floating around in your brain. So well, now, it's, yeah. It's the same thing that you were saying that like ther- like therapy doesn't necessarily cure all. Mm-hmm. It's the same kind of thing with medication. With medication, you're a lot of the times you're treating symptoms, right? You know, and you're not because you could you could be wildly depressed, but if your depression is from trauma and you take an anti-depression medication, all you're doing is treating the depression. You're not treating the trauma. Right. You're masking you know? it. Yeah. Yeah. So this gives us a a way to manage and work with the challenge rather than just to mask and ignore the problem. Right. Well, I don't I like know if that. it's necessarily like ignoring too. it, but it's just masking it. Well, yeah. it's masking yeah, it's, it. It's, 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 it's it well, putting it off for a while, yeah. admit it. It goes to that yeah. whole meme that I send all my friends who, like, hey, can you, you lost so much weight and you're so healthy now. Can you help me? And they're like, yeah, I got to do this. Oh, but that's hard. It's like that line, you know, there's the two lines, like yeah. drugs and medication or yeah. lifestyle changes. And there's no one in that line, right? So no right. one really, right. it, it's right. not easy. And this, and we've talked about this. It's yes. the American kind of, maybe it's a Western world thing. Like we want a quick fix. Mm-hmm. You don't want 52 weeks of neurofeedback mm-hmm. before you start realizing 
you know, that you're doing really well. You want, like, I'm going to go see the doctor. He's going to give me a pill, and I'm going to be fine. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, that's yeah. our culture. I think the way that I almost looked at that, I think when I... When I started to get into like my own recovery, I kind of saw that like I, I had the metaphor pushed on me in IOP when I first started is that like when you're using drugs and alcohol and stuff like that, it's like pushing a beach ball under the water. And so eventually like when those, you know, when the anxiety and all the, you know, whatever traumas you're trying to cover up with the drugs, when it resurfaces, it's actually going to go higher than the water when it shoots out of the water. And I think that I was looking for like longevity because I feel like I, I was so introspective with my own drug use. And I realized like what I was actually doing to cover up my emotions and so I, I pushed forward in my recovery with that same thought process that, like, I don't want to put Band-Aids over my issues. Like, I want to actually go through the work so this isn't a problem for me right. in the future. Yeah. You know, because I really, because you, t- you start taking medication, and it's like, the issue's just still there. It's yeah. still there. It right. is. Yeah, and that's you know? where I think that what you're doing is, is very beneficial, what Jill's doing, and yeah. different modalities, right? And and what Raquel was doing. So, mm-hmm. you know, like, this one of all, and, uh, and I love the other guests have been on, but to me, this was the first one, like, yeah, this, like, really speaks to me. Like, I understand this, and this, I think, for my situation would be very beneficial whereas the other yeah. ones i'm like eh, maybe maybe yeah. you know ketamine whatever don't know if maybe it'd be great to try it i i mean i'm open to everything so um you know and it's like with this whole you know damaged body i have from all the you know work and stuff like you Life. know like acupuncture did i tried it for a year eh, didn't really do much rolfing was good but I haven't gone back, you know, so I'm trying to, I'm just trying to find the thing that fits. And I, and I want to encourage people like, don't a, like, you know, like they said, I research the shit out of stuff. So I'll go through, I'll be in pain for two years before I can make a decision on what modality I want <laughs> to use because I want to make sure yeah. it's the right one. Whereas had I, you know, years ago when I first heard about Rolfing and I was starting to have like aches and pains from physical labor all those years. If I'd done that, I probably wouldn't be nearly as broken now, right? So, do something, yes, towards do. healing. Yeah, and maybe it's not the right thing for you, but if you try it and you're like, "Wow, this is good," it's great. But you could try it and say, "Okay, this isn't working. What else can work for it's, me?" It's try your so, own air. Yeah, really, rather than yeah. being catatonic and being research yourself into freaking mental numbness. You know, try things. So reach out to Danny, reach out to Raquel, yeah. reach out to Jim, yes. whoever. Yeah, because and, and and I think that it's important to understand that like one form is not going to work for everyone. Right. Because I think that, um, like I don't know, like some people, you know, some people that I I know in my life like don't like talk therapy, you know, but like works really really well for other people that I know. Right. Yeah, so I think it's, you know, medication works really well for some people so that they can go to therapy and, you know, it can cut off right. some like, Yeah, and I could like see it just, the, you the, know, whatever works for you. I could see the use of medication maybe very short term in my mind. Yeah. Like, you know, people are on things for years and years and years and like, I don't, you know, you're you're not fixed. You're not fixed. Yeah. And maybe you're never fixed. But you're not even trying to be fixed. You're bandaged. So that's a whole conversation for a whole other yeah, episode. Right, yeah, right. Is our culture at large and how it's trained all of us for instant gratification? 
I mean, we've got apps on our phone that is. can get me anything I need. Mm-hmm. I think it's today our, te- it's our technology that's training it's, our brain. It's yeah. and it's our yeah. culture but that's, that's a... engineering us that way as well to make everything simpler, easier, and now they've got us fooled into pain free. So think about some of that as our own adaptability too. That we, like you just said, it's our technology training our brain. We're adapting to functioning in a different way. That is true. That is true. Yeah. And and some, so evaluating how I want to incorporate different things. And um, also I wanted to comment about some of the comments like about medication and stuff or talk therapy and, and the neurofeedback, I think sometimes there's a synergistic effect of, mm. hey, like you were asking about different things that help the neurofeedback right. to work better. So sometimes taking something while doing talk therapy or while doing neurofeedback can facilitate mm-hmm. that process. Yes, exactly. But there needs to be, I think, honesty and awareness around that because there also could be something else that's inhibiting the progress. Mm. You know, if you're mm-hmm. absolutely taking some street drugs and doing talk therapy, they're probably not going to balance each other out. Right. Well, yeah. right. And, if, yeah. and if you're just yeah. taking, and if you're, <laughs> and if you're just taking ketamine at home, Without the therapy and the guidance right. to go in there while all those receptors are open, right. then you're not. I, I don't know what you're well, going. Well, what you're yeah. going to find in there? Then it becomes it becomes <laughs> self medication. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. As, yeah. As yeah and, I, and I don't want to come across like I'm opposed to every kind of like drug psychoactive drug that the pharmaceutical companies have come up with because some I think are beneficial. I, you know, I just think that. When that's the first choice, and the long and the long term is you right. Made long a good term point, is and you I made think a good is point. Tipi- terribly bad, but I think it, when it's immediately the first choice, you know, like we're just going to put you on this and we'll see what happens. I don't think that that's serving anyone's best interests. No. Uh, yeah, I, I I think that it can be if there if there's like an actual deficit, you know, in the brain that the brain is not able to provide. A, B, and C chemical and serotonin or something like that. I mean, I I think it can. And that's why I was saying that, like, some of the people that I know can't make it to a therapy session Mm -hmm. because their anxiety is too high. Mm -hmm. So a medication, you know, can get them into the door until they learn the coping skills to get, you know. So so it just, I really think it is like a subjective experience. But in conjunction with. I mean, we yeah. Have, oh no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, for yeah, a yeah, short term, percent. Absolutely. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah, totally. Well, I agree well, with that. It's if, a wonderful so, if thing. someone had diabetes and they needed to take medication for that, we would go. Oh, of course, you need to do that. But then we would also hope that they're being very careful about what they eat and aware mm. about how it's affecting them. Mm-hmm. And you know, we would we would want them to fully have the education, the awareness and be proactive in that. But we wouldn't want to deny them to have access to the insulin if they needed that also. Right. Because we'd go, well, you need this for your body to function and for you to do life basically. Yeah. So. Right. Yeah. There's got to be agree, Right. So and and diabetes is a hundred percent, uh, preventable disease, mm-hmm. right? It's a hundred percent lifestyle choices. Well, there's, well, there's yeah. well, type yeah, one, di- type, yeah, one. Yeah, type yes. two, type yeah, two, right? So yeah. yeah. <laughs> let's, let's, so, 
I get it. So you've made bad choices, and it's it, with mental illness or mental problems or TBI or whatever. Those aren't really choices. Like you know, I mean, I when I was closing on three hundred pounds, I'm sure I was pre-diabetic. You know, but I made lifestyle choices. But I made no no one forced that fork in my mouth. And I understand, like, if you're at that point, you need this to get there. But if you're not willing to commit to the lifestyle changes for long-term health, then that's a problem. And I'd say it's the same thing with anxiety drugs, right? Yeah. So if if you become just uh, dependent on the anxiety drug to deal with your anxiety you're not dealing with it right you're not dealing with your diabetes if you're drinking a 85 ounce coke for lunch every day and taking your ozempic right that mm-hmm. that that is there's a there's a logical disconnect there that's really hard for me to wrap my head around like mm-hmm. you know and we've talked about it. it's responsibility. This is responsibility. Well, Stop this, eating shit and, right. and, and and be a, and but eat, he, eat whole food and don't don't but, go don't but, go to the donut it's factory hard. every day. It's hard. It is here, hard. Right. Here is, here is one of the main things too that that I see in in uh, addiction recovery is that that willingness to accept that it's a lifestyle change and people do not understand the full on magnitude of that they come into a clinic a facility a therapist's office like yours and they only want they're pretty awesome people and they can tell you how cool they are but they just want to get rid of this one little problem not having that holistic piece where it's all connected. Right. And yeah. it's like, well, it, it it's just symptomatic, so let's get into the real problem. Well, we don't... The real problem is I drink too much. No, the real problem is... <laughs> so this is an iceberg. <laughs> this is an iceberg under that water situation and, you know, thing. And yeah. so you, you're staring into the very tip of the iceberg and you have no idea what the monster is underneath there. And I think that's a... a uh, one of the bigger reasons, as you can probably know, and you all know, that people are won't get it, get recovery. So, a whole nother episode topic. I'm just gonna. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah because I we agree. Yeah. Do no, this. I agree. Because, yeah. because, like, okay, what, what if I told you that we could look at your brain map and know from that how you're likely to vote? Oh God. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But they can. So, Whoa. yeah. So, what What if I could look at your brain map and go, this person is not open to lifestyle changes, to hearing new ideas, to do, things like that. We could start to find a way to yeah. be more acceptable. To yeah. That, to but that, but then the... you're really getting into some questionable <laughs> ethical things. Like, yeah. what... What am I changing about somebody, right? Is yeah, yeah. It's like the but if I go into you with my... Clockwork Orange when they got <laughs> yeah. the but, drugs, but at the know. same time, if I go in I, under my my own volition and say I want to make this lifestyle change because well, everything is going great, but yeah. hey, I can tweak things here and there. Right. So I if think... it's my money and I want to spend it on you in your office to get another scan and go, and go further, can I? 
That's there's nothing on there. Yeah. Oh, no. Absolutely, I'm yes, tired you can. Of voting yeah. for Donald Trump. <laughs> so can you rewire my brain? Help me change yeah. my vote. Yeah. I, no. So, so is it, so that's kind of an ethical line right there, right? So oh, is it? totally. Yeah. <laughs> somebody that's, comes. Oops, sorry. I keep oh, yeah. Yeah. Somebody comes up and says, "I want to change something." You know, this about me, like. Yeah, okay, we can do that. But I think it's also, that's where I think the talk therapy part is really valuable. Okay, tell me about what it means to you to change that about yourself. And Okay, another, th- another place that, that we're talking about, uh, plastic surgeons. Mm. Because are they not making a massive change that the world can see? And along with that, there should be therapy. If you're going to do that, why are you doing that? Yeah. Well, that's, that's so that, that then if you're well, going to get that synergistic effect that you were talking about. Yeah, there's something's I mean, got to give. Something's got to give somewhere. If right. I'm going to pick up this, I got to lose something there. So remember how I said um, right right hemispheres like big picture, left hemisphere wants to break it down, and even talking about body function, how. It's, it helps us to break it down, right? It helps us to be able to talk just about the brain or just about, you know, even a certain part of the brain. And there's also recognizing that it's part of a much bigger picture. A much bigger picture, We have yes. to be able to do both. And you got to, something's going to, you got to rob Peter to pay Paul. It's not like you can just come up out of nowhere with all this new, it's, something's got to give. Yeah. I mean, it's to balance because ultimately everything's trying to balance itself to find homeostasis. So you can't just increase and the rest of you stay awesome. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. It doesn't. I yeah. just have this big feeling, bad gut feeling about this whole thing. <laughs> Danny, you better leave quietly. <laughs> what, are you, what are you doing next Monday? <laughs> <laughs> no, this is good. All right, so we're uh, we're well over an hour and a half. So why don't we? Uh, we could probably go for like five more hours. Oh, yeah, I think we could. That's. I mean, thank you so much for so for much. making the time for us. Yes. Um, I know this that you. Fun. Yeah, you, you have. Uh, Hell of a life going on right now, and thank you so much for for fitness. And okay. so we do. So we yeah. will. Hey, we'll, wait, wait. First, before we'll we, how can how can people yeah, that's our right. get a hold of you? Oh yeah, I have this work number. Let me think of it. <laughs> um, email. Yeah, I have a, a work email. So I think it's therapy at danny.sprucecare.com I think that's what it is sprucecare.com okay. and we can, we'll link it on our website yeah we'll link yeah. it on our website <laughs> so. let's give you a shout out um, yeah yeah yeah, and yeah but really thanks for having me this is yeah. so much fun I <laughs> well, love yeah. it I oh, love this is diving into this stuff so, so I hope we can this do it again this is so cool yeah. and we uh, we end our podcast with three gratitudes from mm. from everyone in the room yep. so um We'll let Danny go first. Danny, you want to go first? You got three gratitudes? You got three gratitudes? Yeah. I'm very thankful, one, to be here. This is energizing for me (laughs) um, and really appreciate it. I'm really thankful for my truck that got me here today because I was telling them just beforehand my motorcycle was stolen last week and got just other things going on. And so I am thankful my truck is working and Mm. got me here. Mm -hmm. And that just means a lot. Um, I, man, to pick one more. Oh, this is awesome. When there are so many things. (laughs) Yeah. You can do a couple if you need to. 
Um, <laughs> you know, my my family means a lot to me, and I'm really thankful that I get to have such close, you know, interactions with them. And not everybody has that with their family, so I'm really thankful for. Uh, this year, I've gotten to spend a lot of time with my my kids and my grandson. Mm, nice, mm. so cool. I love it. Thanks. I love it. Thank love you. It. All right, I'll I'll go. So I am I'm incredibly grateful that you were able to come in. I already stated that, but it's I always love having conversations with you. Um, I think when I first met you, we didn't have a ton of interaction, and I hung out with your son more than anything. Um, and I need to, I need to call him actually. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you do. Don't yeah, <laughs> yeah, I will. Don't I will. No, life's been busy, but I think, um, yeah, very grateful. I think we had a wonderful conversation with you today. Mm-hmm. Um, I am grateful. Uh, I just turned 30 the other day and, um, I am. It's all downhill from there. Oh, <laughs> I know. I am incredibly grateful that I was able to make it to my 30th birthday. Um, there was, uh. There was times in my life where I didn't think I was going to make it past 21. Um, I've had a lot of lot of close brushes with death, and um, by the grace of God, I'm still here. And I was able to make it another year, another birthday sober, and yeah, incredibly grateful for that. Yeah, and um, oh yeah, I <laughs> know. <laughs> and I am very grateful. I'm grateful for. I get to go to the beach in a couple of days with my wife, and what? I'm very grateful. Right to near the beach, right near Boy. the beach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm very grateful that I get it. I I love spending time by water. Gives me it uh, gives me life. So well, I saw an article you know, the so other I'm day. Really happy it's to, really good for our brains to see water. It's like an evolutionary yeah. thing. I mean, I it's like water. yeah, it definitely yeah, is. So I'm, I'm, I'm really yeah. I'm glad yeah. I have a creek out back. So. Yeah, so I'm yeah. really grateful that I get to go spend some time with the by the water and palm trees and stuff for a little bit. So nice. Oh, That's yeah. a whole other conversation someday uh, about water. Uh, yeah, water. <laughs> um, well, I'm grateful that Danny joined us. We, I'd heard a lot about you, and this has been a really eye-opening and interesting conversation that we're going to definitely have to delve into more now that we've kind of opened Pandora's box on this. I mean... Uh, I warned her we we wander mentally quite a bit, yeah. which we do. But and you uh, went with us, thank yeah, you. Yeah, so thank you so much for being here. Uh, I'm grateful for going to watch our former bandmate play music last night and talk to people I hadn't seen in 40 years. Right on. And uh, you know, because we all know from my story, my high school experience was very terrible. <laughs> And it was kind of nice to hang out with people from high school that weren't terrible. Um, apparently, I was pretty terrible, but whatever. Too bad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so that was it. Was it was really nice um, and talked about music and yeah. uh, you know playing music with some guys. So so I was grateful for that. And uh, I'm grateful. I never say I'm grateful for my family. I really am. My wife is fantastic. Uh, my mom, you know, mm-hmm. spunky as shit. Oh man, she's awesome. So I got to go grocery shopping for her after this. So. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, my brother and his family. I talked to him this morning. You know, I love them. So it's uh, they're two thousand plus miles away, and I see them once a year. But it's nice to know they're there and they've got health and you know 
happiness yeah. and wealth, whatever you want to call it. It's good family, roofs over their heads, no real concerns because we mm-hmm. go through a lot. We all go through a lot of crap on this journey, and sure do. It gets tough. <laughs> and I'm gonna do a fourth one. So, our one of our friends uh, is involved in a charitable organization here in town although i think all they do is sit and have beers um but uh um they raise money so they were raising money to for a teenage suicide awareness kind of programs through through this organization that they work for or are members of and they did a fundraiser last month and made fifteen thousand bucks for a homeless youth organization here in town what is the name of this organization it's called the elks so, oh, the Elks. Yes, okay. the Elks. <laughs> so, yes. Yes, you used to go. I did back um, when I was uh, drinking. Yeah. So it was a wonderful organization. Yeah. For so that anyhow, I was, it was a good conversation with them. And, uh, you know, we were discussing teen suicide. And they just couldn't believe that Colorado has the highest teen suicide rate in the nation. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, uh, kind of dumbfounded them with my stories of youthful ideation of suicide and you know how it still bleeds into my life once in a while not not like every day like it used to when i was a kid but you know so it was good uh it was nice to talk to people about that and be able to be vulnerable around people who you've known your whole life but don't know right yeah. like you guys know. all these we, years later yeah right, right. Well, cool so, yeah. that's very cool so that's that was kind of cool yeah cool, man very cool, thank you, Croster. Um, Danny, I'm I'm gonna throw you I throw you in there. That, that thank you so much. This means so much today. We've been trying for so long, and schedules <laughs> haven't. But today was just been a total pleasure. It's been awesome. Thank you, and Craig. thank we you. We have been trying. And we, yes, <laughs> and, and, and thanks for playing along yeah. <laughs> because we just are weird between the three of us, but. Um, it's our own little world. <laughs> uh, yeah, very much. Um, I always say it every week, and these guys get sick of it. But I'm, I'm very always grateful for my health. Mm. I just, I keep waiting for something to go wrong, and it's just not. And I'm getting older. Last I checked, and, and you know, it's that's pretty cool. Um, you know, I had some rough things at work. You know, clients that maybe mm. had some rough times. You know, and. And uh, lost some recently, and uh, really struggled with that. You know what I mean? It's like, whoa! How do you? How did you let that in and let that happen? When, but we, we, we can't because we can't. You know, stop the fact that we're humans, and we feel. Oh yeah, that's right. I am a therapist or a you know a counselor, but oh, that's right. At the end of the day, I do feel. Mm-hmm. And I was just. I think I where I arrived at after coming through it all after a lot of good walks in the park and a lot of good cries I was just very grateful that I can feel at all that I can that I'm able to go through that and feel it and experience all that tough stuff so I was really really grateful for that and that's kind of one of the things that helped me get through it is I'm lucky Mm -hmm. I'm fortunate so um and I'm going to take a fourth. I'm grateful for you two clowns because every week we get in here and it's just something weird. It's always weird. 
We have a good time, though, man. We do. We have a very good good time, but the conversations are always so stimulating, and I walk out of here just like, okay. (laughs) We we needed to talk about this next, but we got a lot to talk about you when you come back. Yeah, Yeah. I I hope I get to come back. Thank you. You absolutely. And you don't have a choice. (laughs) (laughs) Lock the doors. (laughs) Since two of you added a fourth, I'm going to add a fourth because something you said, Kyle, suddenly made me remember. I had this like oh my goodness this week actually is the 10 year anniversary from when i was hit on my bike riding my car oh right my, my bike i was going to say yeah wow. i just suddenly i was doing hit, the math going that's 10 years oh my yeah. goodness yeah it just occurred to me went, yeah. oh that's this week 10 years ago and as much as that was a traumatic thing I also fully recognize, I mean, I wouldn't be sitting here. I wouldn't know you. I wouldn't be sitting here. I wouldn't have dove into all this stuff. Mm -hmm. My life would, who knows what it would be. But for as difficult as that was, I'm very thankful for what I went through with it and where it's brought me. So That's a great perception. We're very grateful that. that you put yourself through that so that you could be here at this table today. Yeah. Thank Thank you for your... Yeah. Sacrifice. Your hard work. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. All righty, guys. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening to the Lighter Mind Podcast. We're going to put all of Danny's contact information up on our website and join us for our next episode. Yep. It'll be a couple weeks because Kyle's going. I got to go party right. at the beach. Oh, yeah. <laughs> all right. Thanks. All right, thanks. Thank you, everybody. Peace out. All right. Who's got the bowl? Kyle, pass me the bowl.